Yeah. So that's well, definitely an issue. Let's hope Elon gets to Mars and helps us get some new stuff. <laughs> oh, we're going to start mining Mars? <laughs> yeah. Hey, guys, you know I've been trying to locate a machine monitoring system that is easy to install with minimal onboarding, right? I have to tell you, Amper Technologies reached out to me. Akshat, their founder, has been on the show before. He sent me two units to install on my CNCs under their 30-day pilot program. It's been nothing but easy peasy. Ryan snapped them on. We waited a few days to validate and collect the data, and away we go. Check them out at amper.xyz and look under products for their pilot program. Bam. Welcome to Making Chips. We believe that manufacturing is challenging, but if you are connected to a community of leaders, you can elevate your skills, solve your problems, and grow your business. I'm your host, Nick Golner, and I'm joined by the one-shot J&J team, <laughs> Jason Zenger and Jim Carr. That's great. One shot. One shot. The one shot J&J. Love it. The vaccine, Jason. The one, oh, sh- the one gotcha. shot J&J. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Okay. How did you miss that one? <laughs> How did know. you miss that? I, I don't yeah. know. You need a cup of coffee. I know. I just yeah. had one. So, Nick, I like your little graphic there. You know what it looks like? MasterCard. You know what MasterCard, the logo over MasterCard with the three different colors? There's a Venn diagram that describes product management, and that's what we're going to talk about today. And and the Venn diagram has three circles, user experience, technology, and business. And the overlap of all three of those circles is where like product management. So I'm trying to give the visual to the people who can't see our notes here. Yeah. Spring is in the air. It is, man. It's gorgeous in Chicagoland. People are out and about. I love it. Walking down Southport near my house and Cubs games are playing. Yeah. And I'm lucky because I get to enjoy this great weather in this area, which isn't always great weather. And then next week, I get to go to North Carolina to see our good friends at Okuma. Nice. Yeah. Good. Tell Jim I said hi. It's nice in North Carolina, too. I will. I'll tell Jim that Jim says hi. Yeah. I'm going to be in Nashville next month, too. So, guys, travel plans? I've got a couple. So my wife and I are trying to figure out our 10-year anniversary travel plans. I think we're going to end up going... I thought you were going to Hawaii. I don't think we're going to do that. I think we're going to do something a little bit more conservative. I think we're going to stay here in the continental United States, maybe go to like Utah mountains. But then we're taking the kids to Lake Oconee, Georgia in August. So we definitely got some traveling plans. I'm going to be traveling a lot in 2021. Jim? Nothing. I have no travel plans at all. It's going to be a busy summer. I'm traveling two blocks to my new building. There you go. (laughs) <laughs> that uh, yeah that's that does sound very sad jim i feel bad i'm a very happy man of late so okay, I, i'm feeling it jason we need some positivity after that sad news what's going on at zangers and black give me something good sales are really good i mean like we're busy we're hiring i'm actually trying to hire an integrator so for those of you out there who know eos if you're somebody who gets stuff done i'd like to talk to you you definitely need an integrator i need an integrator it's good that you realize that. Yeah. You're not trying to be somebody you're not. Right. You know what I mean? And what are you, are you interested in the job? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I've got enough on my plate with car and making chips. If Nick is definitely not an integrator, so I'm, I'm not even asking him, but <laughs> I do get SH done. I work with you for six years. No, I got plenty of other things to do right now, but maybe later because as I just did on the last show, I'm not retiring anytime soon. So there. I'm looking for somebody who's forward momentum, somebody that wants to make a career, maybe somebody that doesn't have the integrator experience, maybe just operations experience. 
and they really want to spread their wings and get that leadership experience. Do they have to have industry experience? Um, I would consider all people. Industry experience would be helpful, of course, as you guys know, but I just want the right person with the passion and the ability to be able to get things done and to be able to follow my vision. Yeah. Free job ad for Jason's business. <laughs> you asked me what was good. So I, that's the first thing I thought about. I know it is good. So manufacturing news. I got some not so good manufacturing news. Oh, so come good. on. Yeah. What are we, we talking? Did, what, we did good last not time. Not so good. Is there actually news in manufacturing that's not good right now? Raw materials, inflation. Am I going to cry? Should I get some tissue? Maybe by the end of this, you'll want, you'll want some tissue because this is actually a huge problem. I hear a lot about it. I'm surprised I don't hear even more. The articles from the Wall Street Journal, why the chip shortage is so hard to overcome. So we're making chips. This kind of chip, the computer chip, the semiconductor industry, there's a huge, huge problem. Yeah. So I'm going to give some highlights from the article. The world's leading suppliers of semiconductors are pushing to overcome the prolonged chip shortage that has hampered production of everything from home appliances to PCs to autos. Chip makers are trying to eke out more supply through the changes to manufacturing processes by opening up spare capacity to rivals, auditing customer orders to prevent hoarding, and swapping over production lines. The bad news is there are no quick fixes, and shortage will likely continue into next year, according to industry executives. Yep. On top of a spike in demand, producers have been hamstrung by a series of freak events that have knocked out supply, while ongoing U.S.-China political frictions and concerns of a prolonged shortage have prompted some manufacturers to stockpile chips. Yeah, didn't a semiconductor factory burn down like a big one? I didn't hear that. That might be in the article, but I only got the highlight. That probably would have been a highlight. I didn't know about that. But it did say a bunch of freak accidents, so that might be one of them. So the current shortfall includes the less advanced chips that the industry's biggest players have been pulling away from in order to pursue higher margin cutting edge chips. And building new production capacity usually takes years. So they're kind of moving away from all these chips that are used for like more simple devices. Don't all computerized devices need to have a chip? I mean, I'm not like an expert, but yeah. I mean, so and there's the computer that your kid has for their little robotic toy. Do you know what the like the lead times are on new desktop PCs? It's like four to six weeks. I have a friend. She is the general manager of a major GMC Buick dealership. They have cars that are just sitting in lots that do not have a chip in it, that they cannot ship, they cannot sell. There's a huge, huge backlog of these cars. She actually told me that she had a friend who wanted to buy a GMC Denali XL, window sticker, $85,000. She said, you can buy it at sticker price. She said, the demand for new cars and the shortage of new cars is so high. It's also driven up used car values too. I think that these car manufacturers need to start listening to making chips. Yeah, I think so too. Listen to this. So this is a perfect segue into the rest of the article. Automakers are among the buyers that have felt the shortage most acutely as cars need more semiconductors than ever before. Electronics made up more than 40% of a car's total cost in 2017. So in 2017, it was 40% of a car's total cost. That's double from in 2007. So in 10 years, the percentage, it was 20. Now it's 40. Exactly. Their use is expected to grow along with cost. German auto chip maker Infineon Technologies said it expects the cost of chips in autonomous vehicles to jump to about 1200 by 2030 from about $170 currently. 
And this is what is required for all quote unquote level two vehicles, which is like a partly automated car. So like your Tesla, Jason's Tesla. Nanoleaf, a Canadian headquartered smart lighting maker that primarily produces its products in Dongguan, Southern China, said its lead time for receiving chips used to be around two to four months. Now vendors are asking Nanoleaf to place orders that it should expect to receive in January or May 2022. Wow. Ouch. That's how I ended. Ouch. So yeah, this is a big deal because we need chips. We do. (laughs) Is there a raw material issue in semiconductors? Yeah. So the factories, the materials, the whole supply chain disruption with COVID. There's like a raw material that goes into semiconductors that is has a finite supply to it. You're talking about like some special metal, some yeah, rare metals. Yeah. yeah. I think I know what you're talking because about. Because that's even like an issue in say carbide cutting tools and they're starting to try to produce high-tech carbide cutting tools even with lower percentages of those raw materials in order to have a more sustainable supply in the future. Yeah. So that's well, definitely an issue. Let's hope Elon gets to Mars and helps us get some new stuff. So our guests are from the firm Clear Solutions, which is a strategic sales consulting company founded in 2019. So a new startup like us. Just in time for the pandemic. Their COO is an attorney who had spent the previous 20 years in government law, specializing in the records governance and compliance and change management. And their president had spent the previous 32 years in industrial sales and product management. And they both had spent the previous five years being married to each other. After returning from his fifth trip to China in late 2018, they were commiserating over cocktails at a rooftop bar in My Portland, kind of commiserating. Oregon. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the best ideas, right? And over the course of a few hours and a few more cocktails, they decided by combining their skills and their experience, they could create a company that could help guide manufacturers through the murky waters of sales growth and organizational process development. Clear Solutions opened their doors within six months, offering, quote unquote, more than just talk. They specialize in sales, product management training, development strategies, strategic and tactical web simulations, electronic sales playbooks, process guides, and customized sales enablement tools, all sorts of different change management strategies. Welcome to the show, Kim Akimoto and Mark Cunningham. Hey, guys. Thanks for having us. We talk a lot about the integrator and the visionary relationship. I know both of you. I know Mark a little bit better than I know Kim, but it takes about 10 minutes to realize that we have a visionary and we have an integrator. And I think, let me speak for you, Mark. I think the visionary would be screwed without the integrator. Kim brings to the table a lot of good process. She's very detail-oriented. But what's interesting is that's changed quite a bit. We're a small business, so we have to wear a lot of hats and things happen. So tell a little bit about some of the things you do. Aside from the usual financials, legal stuff, I have to pinch it every once in a while. Last year, we did a round of video training sessions, recordings, we hired a bunch of actors, and we had one person canceled the last minute. So I was both director and playing the quality assurance person. That was a lot of fun. But again, yeah, we're a small company. Kim's good at pulling me back, saying, okay, that's interesting. How are you going to execute on that? Exactly. You know, how are you going Sounds to... Sounds like an integrator, doesn't <laughs> yeah. it? Yeah. How are you going to take this raw, more than just visionary, actually? Well, one, of, one of the roles of an integrator is to kill nine out of ten of a visionary's <laughs> ideas. Well, it's not to kill ideas. It's and to think about well, how can we make filter. it happen. Well, you have to take the one and make it a big deal. You know what I mean? So that's the goal. Mark, Kim, tell us the overarching business model of what this new business that you created. Clear Solutions. Yeah. What does yeah, Clear just, Solutions just do? Just give us the 30,000 foot, what the business model, because you, I'm sure when you, over those cocktails, which I love, 
you decided that you were going to have a business model. You put together a loose. I'm sure Kim did it on a piece of paper, maybe on a laptop. Tell me a little bit about that. I worked in the industry for, as I said, over 30 years and worked in a lot of different companies. The last company I was at was purchased by private equity and it just changed. It was a family business, a third generation family business that had done very well. And when the PE people came in, it just changed. The private equity came in. What's interesting about private equity, my experience is, rather than doing things right, they're focused on doing things the right way. And there's a big difference. Well, they don't understand the dynamics of the business. Well, typically that, that is correct. The first thing I decided is I was sick of traveling the way I did. I did the math one time. I spent over 10 years in hotel rooms. Asia, Europe, domestic US. What was interesting about this adventure we had on the rooftop is I just got back from China. I missed our wedding anniversary. We're having our kind of like fall wedding anniversary. I was leaving on the Monday for another trip, and I just was tired of it. So it hit us that between the PE, between the travel, and also seeing what we were able to do. You know, I mean, a lot of the things that I wanted to do at companies I work with, I was unable to do because I was being pulled in a million different directions, because putting out fires, things like that. We saw that a lot of companies, especially you know, medium-sized, middle-market manufacturers, they sometimes have a hard time get out of their way. You know, they're so busy doing other things that we wanted to be able to help them learn how to take what they're good at and do it better. I mean, so, you know, yeah, we were at the problem side. We're also into, you know, opportunity. You know, the, the whole idea of taking opportunity and really looking at it, becoming strategic about it. Sometimes your wife can help kind of refine that idea or give you that new idea. Yeah, or, my, my wife helps me do that every day. Or force you into <laughs> having a new idea. Right, exactly. Um, and that can be really helpful. So how can you relate? Because you're partners with your wife. I take every major decision to my wife and she helps me to straighten these things out. I have trouble with kind of like what you said is like trying and we talk about this on the show and I I call it operating in fifth gear all the time and you can't do that like a race car is not meant to be running all the time you know it's not your daily commute that you're driving 100 miles an hour and I think as leaders we have a tendency to do those things and we need to be careful of that and sometimes you need to take a step back or you need a voice of reason which is usually the integrator in order to help you do those things so how did you get connected with the Golners Henning and myself had had a relationship where we, you know, for a lot of years actually competed with each other. Two separate companies that I work with. The industry that I was in, there was this one company that everybody loved to hate. I won't see who they are. It wasn't. It wasn't Henning, though. So, you know, we, we all got along pretty well. Uh, then we had a mutual acquaintance who I started my business. Henning was introducing a new product line that I was very familiar with. What did you specifically, did you help them with? They had a cable carrier launch. It was a new business for them. So what we did is we looked at training program and what I did is I set up web simulation. I was always very into role play as a sales director. You sit down with like a faux client and you're like, go through your pitch and then they throw objections. We set up where we actually have professional actors who we record, we set up a script and then based on the client's requirements, we'll set up a scenario where they'll have to go in and sell. Sometimes they ask no questions. Other times they are. So is it like sales coaching? Absolutely. So you were like writers, both of you. Yeah, right? right. They craft stories where as the salesperson, you're facing conflict. They coach the actors on how to be a buyer, how to be an engineer, how to be whatever. And then my sales team has to like navigate through those simulations and we see how they handle. It's like, what do you mean it's going to be four more well, weeks? what'll happen is no, but, but what's interesting is the way we do it, it's a lot of fun. What we do is you get a chance or two. It's almost like that, you know, when you're a kid that pick your own adventure game based on which way you go, things happen. 
After the second or third try, the actor breaks fourth wall and looks and says, what is wrong with you? Or depending on who it is, you know, and we have different personalities. So we have a recurring cast, Acme Incorporated, who actors will come in and we have one, the evil supply chain lady. She's perfect. She's actually not British, but she has this British accent. We know it's the Umbrella Corporation lady. She's a real ball buster. All of a sudden, she'll just stop after the second or third attempt. If you don't get it right, she'll look right into the camera and say, what are you looking at? I'm a supply chain manager. These are what my drivers are. Go back and try it again. It's getting my attention now. So you hire actors that are not industry... No, these are actors. If they're good actors, they can take a script and act. We have a company called Acme Incorporated, which is a fictional company. It's owned by E.W. Brawley in England. So there's all sorts of funny things. And the joke about E.W. Brawley is that Brawley is slang in British for umbrella. So the whole Resident Evil Umbrella Corporation. Yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. <laughs> so we had a lot of fun with that. So you assemble this group of actors who are role-playing and you script them out. Do you take the sales team from Hennig into this room and watch how this engagement... No, it's all virtual. It's all done over oh, the web. Oh, it's all virtual. After you create these sales scenarios, do you go back and stop and say, okay, Hennig salespeople, what have you learned from all of this? Right, you Could you notice it. this particular situation where she pulled back a little bit and the other guy was pushing in? Well, there's a couple different ways we could do it. We could okay. do what's called a fully automated simulation, which okay. will be using computer logic, skip branching. We'll have it so that based on your response, it's fully contained. So there's no interruption. We have another way we do it where it's guided, like at a sales meeting or something like that, where we'll come in and respond to and coach at that point. So it all depends on what the customer's looking for. So we will have basically Acme Incorporated, staffed by engineers, purchasing managers, quality people. And then depending on what they're looking for, our client, we'll go ahead and set up, you know, we'll interview them, set up scenarios, and then we'll, Kim and I both have some writing experience, so we'll go ahead and come up with a script. One of the Hennig ones is we had Zoom meetings with 10 actors where they were uh, being interrupted and, you know, it can get very intense. You're seeing the dynamics between the actor and their rival at the company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's I'm, and, I'm figuring So that. how do you navigate that? We had a very high-end competitor. Right. Then we had his Croatian counterpart who was yeah, looking to right. sell on price. A lot of times salespeople say, ah, I would never do that. And Well, you get caught up in the moment, right? And you end up say anything you want just to make it happen. The other thing we do is we do uh, playbooks. Now, there's a lot of people, you know, the playbooks are big, process guides. We make them electronic. So I'm not a pro shop user. No, you're not. They're a great sponsor of ours. And we hear a lot about pro shop from you, Jim. And one thing that's kind of surprising to me in, in a really good way for them is as I travel, I spend about a third of my life on the road. Yeah. As I travel, this year I've had like three or four different companies yeah. that are all either using ProShop and have amazing things to say about really? it. Really? Or they're like one time I walked in and they were telling me, yeah, that's ProShop on the screen, but we're just like analyzing which ERP we were going to search They're blowing to. up, Nick. I mean, seriously. I know. I mean, just from talking to Paul, he's a busy man and you're just hearing about him everywhere. I was like, look, I don't use ProShop, but everyone I know who does absolutely loves it. So, But in all seriousness, you're going into these shops across America yeah. and you see it on their yeah. screen and you're like, oh my God. Yeah. This- I've seen that before. And I'm like, is that ProShop? They're like, yeah. yeah. And one of them was just a, right on the fence about to pull the trigger. You know, maybe Paul should run for president in 2024. He <laughs> would, would have my vote, man. So go to ProShopERP.com for more information. Yep. What exactly is a sales playbook? A sales playbook is a process guide to say, what is it you're looking to do? So basically, scenarios, I'm a salesperson. The idea would be on your phone, I've got a process guide or a playbook. And so one of the products that we're working with Pentagon, we have drawing simulations. So you can walk in on a floor and see a machine 
see the part number, go ahead, put in, okay, this is the part number I'm looking for. Now I can issue a drawing, a quotation. So what happens is the whole idea is to have the second call on the first call so that you can go in, get all primed up. Your competitor essentially is going in there saying, okay, that looks good. I'll go back to the plant and get your quote and a drawing. And our idea is that instead of a continuance like that, we're looking to be able to close the order right there. Right out of the gate, they're not going to give you a million-dollar order on the, first, on the first phone call. The problem was in the past, even if they wanted to, the capability of getting it was tricky because you had to go through certain things. You're talking about like discovery. Well, it's validation too. But you better be pretty damn sure though that, that if you're going to set up a landing page, that you're going to land the order. Well, there's a cost associated with setting. I mean, it's... Min- yeah, but that's part of what they did is they made it very easy and modular. I could have set up a landing page that was kind of specific to your application. Send you an email that says, hey, Jim, I know we're going to be talking about this soon. Click this and check it out. You click that. It shows you all the products that are specific to what you might need to buy, any information that would be helpful to you. So by the time I actually come in as a sales guy, you're like ready to go. What is on one of these landing pages that is specific to the client? One of the things we're big on is video. Let's say I'm good at sales. It's what I do. I know how to do it. I'm selling to you. You're an engineer. You may be good at engineering. You're not as good at sales. The problem is you're not always a decision maker. So you're going to go upstream and I want to get in the room. So what I do is I will set up a landing page that has the quote attached to it, that has some kind of enabling. It might be something like, say, the case for cable and hose care. I might have average wire gauge sizes, things like that. Something that would make you interested to go back and a video that covers the whole thing. The idea being that if you get three quotes, and the first two were from just quotes. First two could just be a PDF with a text on it, like, like, like what you see with a quote or a PO. But ours is going to be a full package. So like a landing page with helpful resources, a place where you can download the actual PDF. You've got in there, you've got the situational fluency that your competitor doesn't have because you've got the stuff up front from your customer. But now you can act because especially on some of the products that Hennig is introducing, what will happen is right now, the traditional way to sell this would be to go in, look at it, measure up the machine, come back, send a quotation, a drawing, go through all that. That's the way everybody does it. With the process guide or electronic playbook, what the salesperson could do is now they already know enough information ahead of time. They can be walking on the floor, walk over to that machine. So basically what we're looking at, you know, we'll have cross-reference programs. So I look at this thing either by the dimensions or by a part number. I know for the competition, I know what my size is. Then I've got an automatic drawing generator. So you and I are sitting here talking to each other and I'm just casually doing this, looking at the period, I'm going, okay, that's great. This is fantastic. I've got a quotation, a proposal, a drawing right now. You do have the ability at this point, though, to ask for the order. It doesn't matter how good you are. It doesn't matter how lucky you are. If you don't have the right tools, if you don't have the right process, it's anybody's order. I mean, our goal at Clear Solutions really is to help people get away from the ready, fire, aim mentality. Because we've been talking about like one of the deliverables that like you and Kim would put together for a client. And, it's, and almost everything we've been talking about has been more focused on the sales enablement right. and, and equipping a sales team to be more successful. But we brought you in while I was going through this big restructuring regional sales. You and I worked a lot on this mindset of product management. So we always had head of product for an entire business unit. And an example of that would be like we had a business development leader at the head of our work holding group or a business development leader at the head of our chip conveyors and filtration group. And these guys were more like national sales managers. So they would manage all the major key accounts, every opportunity with the key account, every interaction, the customer relationships was all on their plate. This kind of methodology can be in my business and Jim's business. I could have 
cutting tool product specialist and a safety specialist. Jim could have aerospace specialist. Yeah, yeah. This could apply to anyone. When you're head of product and you're asked to manage all the key accounts and manage all the opportunities, you don't really have time to become head of product, to be really focused on creating a long-term sustainable demand, to be best in class, to think six nine, 12, 18 months ahead, what you're going to be releasing, how you're going to create a roadmap of innovation for your product group. We're transitioning those folks from being sales doers to being sales enablers. And as I've been hiring all these regional sales directors, they're starting to own the key account management for all of our biggest accounts. They're managing all the day-to-day opportunities. And we're focusing on really training those BDLs on how to think like a product manager. The best story that Mark told me on the mindset of a product manager, and something I say all the time is, different is better than better. Be differentiated. Mark, you've got a great story about like your first start in sales and how you always thought like a product manager. Can you tell the story? What we did is, me and a couple of buddies, we decided we were going to tour. Like you were, and that's what we did in college, basically. That was your sales goal, to, that was our to sales be goal. able to, to afford to stay on tour. So we would start selling t-shirts. <laughs> you literally went on tour with the Grateful Dead. I saw yeah. the Grateful Dead 114 times. And we don't want to be like, you know, they used to call them like tour scum, the kind of, you know, like sleeping in the streets and stuff right, like hotels. Right. And we but you want to sit in the first row too, right? Well, as much as possible. Yeah. Right. We decided to sell t-shirts to stay on the road. Right. You know, tie-dye t-shirts are back in now. They just came back <laughs> into style. So we didn't have the best t-shirts. We'd have the worst t-shirts. We'd have the most expensive ones. We'd have the least expensive ones. So we decided, like, how are we going to stand out? So what we started doing was giving away a peanut butter, honey, and banana sandwich with every tie-dye. Hey, man, they're deadheads, right? Yeah, think about it. Would that crowd be interested in a nice peanut butter, honey, and banana sandwich? (laughs) Yes, I would. From a true marketing genius, Jerry Garcia, who'd been the lead guitarist of the Grateful Dead, and Jerry one time said, our goal is not to be the best at what we do. Our goal is to be the only ones who do what we do. They became the highest grossing touring band in the world. And actually, what's funny is the Grateful Dead, actually, I won't mention the name of the company, but a VP of sales who I had had a real issue with, who was really, first time I met the guy, he's like, we're going to shop you. Like, yeah, nice to meet you too, buddy. Turns out he was so obnoxious that at one point just found out he was a deadhead too. He and I got to be such good friends that we spent the uh, down at Soldier Field in 2015, those last three dead shows were training Stasio from Fish came to play. We went to all three of them. Basically, we're laughing at that, you know, trying to find peanut butter, honey, uh, banana sandwiches. So, but yeah, that's how we stood out. People remembered us. People would come back. Oh, yeah, you the peanut butter, honey guys. You know, yeah, you got decent shirts, but. Here's the takeaway for me. So, the sales manager would be like, okay, I got three guys selling shirts. Here's my product. How do I sell this shirt against the other shirt and win? And he'd be much more tactical. Whereas, like, the product manager would be like, how can I differentiate my shirt? Maybe I sell a peanut butter, banana, and honey sandwich with the shirt. Well, it was sales enablement, right? I mean, yeah. basically, and what I found, you know, it was interesting what you were talking about before, is that product managers get caught up in account management. Now, my whole career, my title was never product anything. I was sales manager, sales director, but I always took it at a product level because the way I looked at it is that, yeah, I'm good at it. I mean, I better be. I'm the sales manager. This is the same thing with your BDLs. I mean, they're the best at what they do, so it's almost counterintuitive. Why would I not want to have my best guy going into all my key accounts? Yeah. However, when you think about it, the idea is you want your best guy turning these other guys into best guys. The joke was, yeah, I can sell track of my sleep, but why don't I make it so that other people can do the same thing by training, by enablement, and by focus. So instead of ready, fire, 
aim. You've got a strategic approach. You've got process. And really, I'm a typical sales guy. I'm unorganized. All right. So this is for Kim here. A lot of what we're doing together is I want my sales team to be kind of going through a course and a very process-oriented, achieving certifications. We have like nine business units between advanced machine engineering and Hennig. And each one of those has their own sales dynamics. And so we're creating curriculum. And I think about like your background and you have a law degree, right? Yes, I certainly do. <laughs> so, so you had to go through a lot of stuff like that just to be able to um, you know, be certified as a lawyer. How does some of your background help you with what we're doing now with us as one of your clients? Well, gosh, I think I need to talk about where my weird career path <laughs> Yeah, went. Yeah, let's hear your story. When I first went to law school, 20 plus years, (laughs) but I never thought that one day I'd be starting a strategic sales consulting company with my husband, but it all kind of fits. I actually thought I was going to be a prosecutor, too much law and order, I suppose, but (laughs) didn't happen. I actually, you know, went and worked at the DA's office and and no, that's not for me. So I actually took sort of a non-traditional path around that time. E-discovery was becoming a huge deal. E-discovery? Electronic discovery. Prior, 20 years ago, people still love paper. I love paper, but it's hard to connect people with information. And lawsuits, they want everything. That was the problem. My first job out of law school was helping with some wrongful death cases and having to search through hundreds of boxes for data. So I kind of fell into this weird niche of public records law and records governance. And that's what I've been doing. But oddly enough, all of this experience has kind of prepared me for this strange adventure. So law school really taught me how to think logically, how to think strategically, how to anticipate counter arguments, potential problems, that sort of thing. But records governance is all about sales. I mean, how do you get someone to care about records? (laughs) You got to sell it to make people care about that. And talking about sales enablement tools, Data, information, those are assets, and we should think about it that way. So connecting people with data, will really, how can we do that? That's kind of what I bring to it, change management. Also very important in my role as records governance, it's about implementing systems, providing new tools, but those processes and tools won't work if you can't get the people element they're the ones who are going to follow those processes and use those tools. And when I think about the sales playbook, a lot of companies hand out like a three ring binder. Here's everything you need to know to sell for our company. And it sits in somebody's trunk, right? And you guys really take all that data, take all that important information, and you put it into a platform that has an easy to use user experience where it's all right in front of them, that all the resources that they need are right there. Well, one of the things I think that Kim does bring to this is that you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make a drink. So what we'll do is we'll come up with processes. We'll come up with sales tools. But sometimes getting people to use them, getting people to even though, you know, yeah, your boss says you have to, but you know how that works. Yeah, just because he says you have to do it doesn't mean you're going to do it. You're going to fake it until you make it, right? I'm used to doing things a certain way. It's always worked for me. So one of the things that we do do as part of our sales tool development is we work on change management. This is what Kimberg's in. She uses ProSci, AdCar, a lot of scientific things that I used to just do. I mean, nobody ever says I want to be a sales guy when they grow up, right? I learned on the way. You know, I mean, a lot of times I had to make it up as I was going along. And what Kim brings to it is a real science to it, which has been very helpful. You talked about that three-ring binder in the trunk story. What was the first 
inspiration for like, let's digitize this entire. Well, honestly, because I had sat and as a member of sales team, you know, sales director with my team, listening to consultants talk about sales enablement, talk about stuff and essentially give you a binder that was obsolete the minute it came out. I am big on trying to get people to think strategically. And what I started thinking about is, man, these are all things I wish I had had. I got pretty good at selling this stuff. I think you said you lacked resources, tangible and if not intangible resources. Absolutely. Because right. I worked for all sorts of different companies, right. for small companies. And, you know, there were times I would be on the road. I'd be in my hotel room at night trying to figure out I didn't have a marketing department at a small company. I didn't have product management. So that's how I took it on. So every sales role I ever had, I thought instead of me going out and selling, which I did on occasion, my time is better spent showing the sales force how to do this at a higher level. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, I tell all my sales guys this, I want our company to be best in class at the resources we give to our sales team. I don't want there to be any excuse not to be effective helping our customers. Our mission is to make our customers successful and the sales guys are held accountable to sales numbers. So I don't want them to be like, well, I didn't know, uh, no one ever told me this, or I didn't, I didn't know what I needed to know, or I don't feel like my training was where it needed to be. So we over-invest in that. And then I hold my guys to a really high standard because it's like, look, we've given you everything, so there's no reason not to have success. I I could agree with that about Hennig. The thing about Hennig that's interesting is this making their customers successful, they do live in. I mean, mean, you've got all sorts of taglines, but what I've seen with you guys is they take it as more than just a tagline. Yeah, Nick's kind of a tagline guy. (laughs) (laughs) What's interesting is, though, they do bring it down to the customer level. They recognize that in order to make the company successful, I need to make the engineer successful. I need to make the buyer successful. I need to make maintenance successful. And so really, that's what's helped guide us with headings. They're looking for that level of engagement with the customer, and it really makes it easier. Yeah, there's an individual, there's a, a human person behind every PO, right? Yes, absolutely. Not only do we want to make that account or that business successful, but we want to make Gary, the purchasing guy, successful because we know that he's trying to get this promotion or whatever. Let's face it, that's how you become a trusted advisor. One last question, I guess. Clear. Is that an acronym for something? Crystal clear. Crystal clear. That's what we're making. But at one point, it was an acronym. It became a tortured acronym. Looks like Kim's really digging in over there. Relevant. Whatever. It was relevant. It was all the buzzwords. (laughs) But the whole thing, it got to me that, wow, this is really stretching it. So I was missing the message. The message is, I want to make you successful, not have a clever tagline. And that's kind of what really, really grew up. But yeah, the whole idea is sometimes the solution's right in front of you. Yeah. And uh, our job at Clear Solutions is to help you discover what that solution is. Awesome. A lot of this sounds amazing, but for a smaller company like ourselves, it seems like it's something that would be very difficult for us to invest in the technology and the training and everything involved in that. So I'm thinking to myself, yeah, I would love to do this. We are looking for manufacturers, you know, small to medium-sized manufacturers, the two we know, we have the situational fluency, we have the tools to do it. Now, also, we are a small company and we have learned to do a lot of things. So it's surprising what we can do. So our price tag is, I'm guessing Nick can tell you, our goal is to offer you some a reasonable price. We have playbooks. We got standard playbooks starting on you know for a few thousand dollars, mm-hmm. uh, raising right up. But our goal is to exceed your expectation. Is it mostly product sales or is it service? We do okay. product and service. The whole idea is that what we're looking to find out is you know what is your value proposition. Yeah, we'll help you develop your value proposition. We'll help you differentiate that value proposition, and then we'll help you design a program around that. So I mean, I'm not so say, that everyone can deliver that message. Right. Yeah, because what happens is a lot of people have a value prop and they treat it like a tagline. 
you know, the old X, Y, Z, yeah, right? And yeah. what we, our specialty is helping you define your Z. Everybody what is knows, the X, Y, Z? Well, the X, Y, Z is the, uh, that was the old value prop model where you said, okay, like for example. We're going to give you price, delivery, and quality. Right. Or, or making your, okay, so for example, make your customer successful. That's Hennig our, is, like, that's our mission vision. Right. Right? Hennig is X. This is out. This is what we're going to do. What we're going to do, we're going to make them successful. That's the why. What we work on in the middle is the Z. How are you going to do it? Mm-hmm. And how are you going to do it at a very personal level? So how do we make that engineer successful? How do we make that buyer successful? How do we make this project successful? That's what we've worked with Henning. What we will do is we put together forums. We put together seminars on you know, learning how to do this. And you know, from our perspective, it's fairly affordable. The more you know about what you want to do, the more focused we can become, obviously, the more cost-effective it's going to be. So you do that by maybe discovering the best of the best of your sales team and how they're providing that value for your clients? Absolutely. What we do is we would help figure out, really get down to brass tacks. The other thing we're going to, like, we'll help you handle objections. We'll help you avoid continuances. To your point, Jason, the gap between your best guy and your worst guy starts to close when you systemize it. And that's what we would like to be able to do. We really have to kind of play to the lowest common denominator. What we found about sales enablement that makes it different is typically when you're doing this from a sales manager perspective, your sales manager is dealing with 20% of, the, of your sales team. The, the people who are effective, the people who have the most, that's who you deal with. When you come to sales enablement, you're able to play to everybody. You're able to help not just the, you know, the, so it's not just your number one guy who theoretically maybe doesn't need that help. Now you're playing to the guy at the lower level and you're helping improve him to get there. We got to wrap it up. And I think my big takeaway is, look, if you want to grow your company, you need great sales leadership and you need great product leadership. And if you don't have those, you're not making chips. If you're not making chips, you're not making money. Bam. Thanks for listening to the Making Chips podcast. Jim and Jason knew that the metalworking nation, the community of world-class makers, needed to commit to a new way of leading to stay ahead of the competition. So, Making Chips was created to fill that void, to give you advice from other manufacturing leaders who can push you to take action. Your manufacturing challenges have a solution. And many of them are at makingchips.com.